Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. You know those happy moments in the practice room when you experience a tiny breakthrough and after having struggled for a while can finally hit that high note, get the shift in tune, or produce that nice clear sound exactly like you hear it in your head? Feels like cause for celebration, right? Well, as a kid, I would reward myself for my achievement by putting my violin down and taking a practice break, which would sometimes stretch into the next day. It seemed like a reasonable enough thing to do at the time. But now that I have kids, seeing them move on after just one successful repetition of a skill kind of drives me nuts. I mean, you get through your taekwondo pattern without incidents just once, and you're ready to move on? What? Shouldn't you be able to do it correctly at least twice in a row before moving on? Wouldn't three perfect repetitions in a row be even better? What about five? Maybe seven? Of course, at some point, more isn't really better, and it's just a waste of time and energy. But where do you hit the point of diminishing returns? How many repetitions is enough? Before we explore some of the studies in this area, let's take a quick look at a couple key terms or concepts first. Say you are working on a passage and keep having memory glitches or play a few notes out of tune, but with a bit of work, finally get through the tricky spots without incident. If at this point you moved on to a new skill or passage, you would have engaged in what's called adequate learning. Because sure, You presumably ironed out the problem area and reached a certain level of proficiency, but didn't go above and beyond that point. If, however, you continued to work on the passage and put in additional practice repetitions beyond the point of reaching proficiency, you would have engaged in overlearning. Surprisingly, I didn't come across as much research on overlearning as I would have expected to find, but it does seem that there are some benefits, particularly in the area of retention. For instance, a U.S. Army study followed the learning curve of 38 reservists who were trained in how to disassemble and assemble an M60 machine gun. A control group practiced until they could achieve one error-free performance, which on average took about 30 minutes to reach. An overlearning group practiced until the same point and then some. Specifically, their training was extended by however many repetitions it took them to get to an error-free level. This by the way, is known as 100% overlearning. 
Engaging in half as many repetitions as it takes to reach the target level of proficiency would be known as 50% overlearning, and so on. So if it took them 30 tries to get it right, they did a total of 60 repetitions. And in general, it took an extra 15 to 20 minutes for soldiers to complete their extended training. And then there was a third group. This third group practiced until proficiency, and then four weeks later had a refresher session where, just like the overlearning group, they did as many repetitions as it took for them to get it right in the first session. And then eight weeks after their initial training session, all three groups were tested on their M60 disassembly and assembly performance. So how'd they do? Well, as you can imagine, both the overlearning group and the refresher group outperformed the control group at the eight-week mark by 65% and 57% respectively. And while their performance at eight weeks was pretty similar, there were some meaningful differences between those two groups, which suggests that overlearning may have been a more effective overall approach. The overlearning group not only executed the skill more flawlessly during their extended training time, but they also got faster, cutting almost 13 seconds off of their total time from their first air-free performance to their last practice attempt of the day. So to me, this speaks to greater automaticity of the skill, the ability to perform the skill more efficiently and effectively without having to think one's way through every step. By comparison, the refresher group had forgotten quite a bit by the time they had their refresher course four weeks later, averaging more than five errors on their first practice attempt. In fact, most of the soldiers failed to complete an error-free trial before the end of their refresher training session, and the overlearning group demonstrated better performance after eight weeks of not touching an M60 at all than the refresher group did after four weeks of not touching the M60. Which, to me, suggests that overlearning leads to gains that last longer than simply practicing up to the good enough proficiency point. In another study, 20 surgical residents were tasked with practicing a common gallbladder removal procedure. Everyone practiced the procedure until they reached proficiency, which was defined as achieving a score of 80. Once they reached proficiency, 10 of the residents did no further practice of the skill. Meanwhile, the other 10 residents continued to practice, putting in as many repetitions as it took for them to reach the score of 80 in the first place. In other words, 100% overlearning. To see how much of an impact the overlearning had, both groups were tested one week, four weeks, and 12 weeks later, and evaluated on their simulator score, how long it took for them to perform the procedure, and accuracy. So how'd they do? Well, overall, the overlearning group appeared to learn the procedure and retain their skills better, outperforming the adequate learning group by an average score of 76 to 68, while making fewer mistakes and completing the procedure about 20% faster. So while extra practice does take more time and effort in the short term, it seems to have benefits in the long run. And like the soldiers in the previous study, the overlearning group's ability to perform the procedure faster suggests to me a higher level of automaticity. A little like the difference between a capable but hesitant new driver who's on their learner's permit and an experienced cab driver who can navigate city traffic and parallel park without a second thought. I mean, if your toe accidentally got chopped off while preparing Thanksgiving dinner, I don't think there's any question about which driver you'd want taking you to the hospital, right? While overlearning seems to be a good thing, it's not so clear how much overlearning is best. More seems to be better, but there is a point of diminishing returns where doing more just takes a ton of time and energy, but yields relatively little gains. 
Besides, overlearning for the sake of overlearning can lead to mindless and effective practice, which could do more harm than good. There does seem to be some evidence that 50% overlearning is the minimum to get some benefit. So for instance, if it took you 10 repetitions to reach proficiency, you would do an additional 5 repetitions past that point for a total of 15 repetitions. All this to say, if you're going to give this overlearning thing a try, maybe 50% overlearning would be the best place to start in terms of minimizing friction and resistance to this idea. Meanwhile, 100% overlearning appears to give us more bang for our buck than 150% or 200% overlearning. So ultimately, 100% overlearning may be a good target to aim for in the long run. So if it took you 10 repetitions to reach proficiency, in other words, you would do 10 more for 20 repetitions total. What I like most about the idea of overlearning, though, is how the overlearning protocol could potentially increase motivation and focus during practice. Because if you know that the amount of overlearning you have to do is a function of how many practice repetitions it takes to work a passage up to proficiency in the first place, it would seem to me that you'd be really motivated to practice in a much more thoughtful, deliberate way, where instead of mindlessly doing one repetition after another, you problem solve in the most efficient and effective way you can so as to reach that minimum level of proficiency in the fewest possible repetitions. You can find links to this week's study and other resources at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think might also enjoy experimenting with this during the coming week. 